Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with, is it, is it Rachel Madel? How can I be sure? How could I know for sure that this is Rachel Madel in the world of AI? <laughs> I'm not an AI bot, Chris. It's me. It's me, the real Rachel Madel. <laughs> Let me ask you a question that only the real Rachel Madel would know. Uh, let's see. What's a good question that only Rachel Madel would know? All right. What is the biggest pest in Hawaii? <laughs> Uh, definitely cockroaches. <laughs> cockroaches. You hear me complain about cockroaches. In fact, like, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you haven't seen me like running away from one on like a Marco Polo video or something. <laughs> it's the it's the price of paradise here in Hawaii. So we're talking about AI today because it's everywhere, right? And uh, it's it's sort of taking over a lot of uh, the conversations in the ed tech space. And um, it seems like you're probably using it in certain ways, right? Is that fair? Yes, I'm definitely using it a lot in my clinical practice or, or exploring what that looks like. Are you using it with students yet at all? Have you started to integrate it into any of the, the therapy that you're doing? Yeah, so I've been, I'm a big, big supporter of Canva in therapy and I do so many different things with it and I love it. I can't say how much I love it enough. Um, but one of the cool features is that there is a text to image feature on Canva that can create some of the wildest, funnest, coolest images uh, based off of the text you put into it. So you can target descriptors, you can target core language, like there's lots of different options um, when you're using that feature and it will create an image based off of the text you put into it. So it really helps you know, my students get really creative when we're creating anything on Canva. We can use that AI um, and they get really excited about kind of making it the wackiest, coolest, most unique thing to see what comes up. Um, that same feature, let's spin it on its on its ear here for a second, because I think, in, in fact, if you're a Patreon member or a Patreon supporter, this is something that was in the Patreon oh, a couple months ago now. But when that feature rolled out in Canva, um, we talked about on, on Patreon about how you can use it to practice descriptive teaching. So if I were to type in that same little box that you're talking about, um, it's big and it lives in water and it breathes air and it's blue and then you hit enter let's see what the, what it comes up with and chances are you're going to get a picture of a whales <laughs> yes of course i'm talking about whales so uh, but what else could come up that also describes that so then if it if something else did come up that fit all that criteria then oh okay well look it came up with that too these both of these things meet that criteria what else can we do to describe it further right um it swims might be another thing we'd add okay so you can make your descriptive teaching that much more rich and practice that skill using that exact same tool. Yeah, it's been really fun um, to kind of play around with. And, and sometimes it doesn't always do as good of a job as I wish it did. Um, but I think that that's like a natural you know, opportunity to keep refining. Okay. Nothing came back. Like, what could we add? What could we change? Like talking about the writing process. And it's definitely a great way to support literacy, uh, instruction for students and helping them, you know, learn how to spell and use their keyboards and, and things like that. So I'm definitely taking it as a literacy opportunity too, when we're going ahead and typing in there. Um, and then we can add those images to stories and creating stories that have dialogue between characters. And there's just so, so, many potentials here. 
Well, there you go. I mean, like you said, you can use that to create little avatars or characters, right? Animated characters that they can create on their own just by describing with that descriptive language. But then there's another thing that it goes to digital storytelling, and that is creating like background images, right? So let's set the setting here. A character is only one part of a story, but the place that the story takes place is a whole nother thing. So let's describe what that looks like. It's it's hot and it's dry uh, and uh, it it is uh, gives me uh, um, it makes my skin burn right where am I you're on the sun <laughs> yes <laughs> or a yes. desert or a desert <laughs> yes yes exactly exactly but you could and then it creates that visual that image in the background and uh, you could put that as your setting so whatever your setting might be it's another way you could use it what else are you doing with AI well I've been I've been kind of challenged Chris with how much to incorporate it with older students and I'll tell you why Um, I was working with one of my students virtually and we're working on kind of higher level linguistic things and um, the student is not an AAC user which I think is important to note but we are using assistive technology tools with this student Um, he's autistic and a teenager and Um, I was talking and so excited about AI when I was just, you know, talking to to the family after the session, not sharing how, you know, I've been using it in my clinical practice, but just generally talking about it. And the family was just like, had very negative sentiments around AI and how like, and this is like a creative family who's like in the arts. And I feel like, um, very much was like concerned with, you know, the, elements of AI that are kind of taking over. Um, and long story short, they weren't the biggest fans. (laughs) And so then I had the question like, Ooh, like, you know, how much should I be incorporating? Cause I was thinking like, you know, the same way I think through the lens of assistive technology, how can we start teaching kids how to take text and help them be summarized with chat GPT and, and things like that. And, I got a little hesitant after this conversation and then it like led me down this thought process of like, I guess I should be talking to families about this and I should be, you know, not necessarily asking permission, but like having conversations to understand where families stand on this because I'm like an early adopter of technology and I'm like, yes, AI, let's figure out how to use it and and work with the technology. But I also recognize that it's not like that for everyone. And so it really had me second guessing and thinking through like what kinds of things to incorporate and like, you know, in private practice, especially like I'm very centered around what families, what are families values? What are families thoughts? What are families goals? Like all of those things. And so it's just like an an extra layer of things to think about, I guess, or at least that's what I've been thinking about since I was kind of a little surprised by the conversation that I had with this mom. Sure. Well, okay. So I have feelings about this, right? So my first initial thought is, um, our job is to prepare kids for the future and this is not going away. So we have to prepare them for the future. That said, my bigger feeling is not really around, um, parents' rights. (laughs) Um, it's around, that these things, I'm going to use, uh, Alyssa Hillary Zisk said these words, and they ring to me over and over again in my practice recently, and that is, 
it is not binary. <laughs> and let's take out whatever it is, that pronoun, and sl slap in something, whatever we're talking about. In that conversation with Alyssa, um, it was uh, Gestalt language processing. But let's, in, let's take that out and put in the proper noun of AI. <laughs> well, AI is not binary. It is not, well, it's all bad or it's all good. Uh, it's like, now take that out and put Twitter in there. Twitter is not binary. It's not all bad or all good. You have to have a more refined conversation around it. So it wouldn't necessarily be like, I don't want you using AI. Well, what does that mean? Like, because does that mean you don't want me using word prediction? Does that mean you don't want him learning uh, emails at the bottom of Gmail where there's it's prompting you with um, options of what you could hit a button and respond with? Like, do you want that turned off? Like, how deep are you? Uh, it, it has to me, it has to be a more refined conversation than complete banning of AI because that term itself is so hard to define, you know, and then there's generative AI, you know, um, so to me, it feels like, well, all right, here's the activity, the experience that I'd like to create for the kid. Do you have any reservations around that? Oh, no, that's fine. You're making fun little, um, you're, you're asking him to summarize notes or you're making fun little background images with whales in the desert. You know, uh, that's cool. You know, it's probably more uh, about an individual experience than an overarching sweeping notion about a nebulous term. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And to give more context, like I was really, I'm working with this student on writing and summarizing and things like that. And so I think, and also like in my own clinical practice, I'm like, because this is like a newer technology for me, I've been like, huh, like this would help him a lot. And I think it would help him learn how to summarize, right? Like it models it for him. Um, so specifically, I think I'm thinking about tools that could help him do the thing that I'm working on teaching him and specific to like, we're working on summarizing. Right. Um, so I clinically think that being able to model that having the technology model, that is how kids learn no different than word prediction doesn't stop kids from learning how to spell or, you know, it just like helps enhance the experience. Um, but I could see this mom and maybe other families thinking, well, why would, why would we just have the technology summarized? Like that's what I want him to be able to do on his own, right? Like the same kind of age old dilemma of like the tool and the technology is going to take over and they're not going to learn how to do it. Right. I think it's, it's the same thing. Uh, but it's just like a newer, it's a newer conversation. It's a newer thing for me to think through. So, um, yeah. Well, to me, I think you said it's an old conversation applied to new situation with the new technology, but the, the conversation's really no different than a calculator, right? Oh, I want him to learn how to do the math, so therefore don't use a calculator, but the calculator can help you learn how to do the math, so. I completely agree. I think that it's it's definitely going to be something that I'm sure we're going to be facing even more in education and something we need to think through. And yeah, I think that it's just going to be having these conversations over time, slowly but surely. And really, like, I think if we're zooming out for a second, you know, we really need to be teaching kids how to edit, edit what ChatGPT spits out or whatever, right? Like that editing process, I think, is the important piece because that's what in my own in my own process, 
you know, I'm having to read through and decide, is this exactly what I want to say? Like, how could I say this a little bit different? Um, you know, so I think those are skills that we can work on with students. Um, that just makes it a lot faster and easier, which I think is just what technology does. Yeah. And I think the other skill that comes with AI is, so what you're talking about there, the editing is sort of on the back end and on the front end is know what to ask it in the first place. So imagine this kid that you're working with, I would imagine, um, because of his life experiences and where he's at, um, uh, I could imagine him being like, I'm not even sure how to get started on the task that they're they're asking me to do. Hey, ChatGPT, I got to do X. How would you get started? You know, now it's giving me a couple steps. Let's say he does that three times. Hey, I got this other task I need to do. And it's similar steps to get started. And then the third time he does it and he knows what it's going to say, because it's going to say, you do this first and then do this second and this third. By the fourth or fifth time, does he need to go to ChatGPT? Did the tool help him learn how to start tasks? You know, that's, uh, I, I think it does. You know, same, same thing. Let me give you another scenario. You and I know after he's had a great experience with the teacher, maybe he sends that person a thank you email, right? Well, I don't know how to write a thank you email. Well, okay. How do I write a thank you email for my teacher that helped me do X? Um, it writes it for him. Great. Next time he has to write a thank you email, there it is again third time he's got it and now do i have to keep tasking chat gpt or did i did it teach me how to write the what i should say what's a polite thing to say the words i could use um did it did it increase my vocabulary so i think there's a weaning process but the skill has to start i think where it starts is us as educators helping them ask the right questions they might not even be thinking oh yeah i should be asking it how to write a thank you email i should be asking it to summarize my notes i should be asking it how to um get started on a task that's where we as adults can come in and shape their experience so they're using it in a healthy way i know what won't work it won't work by not using it <laughs> because it, I, I, the reason I say that is because I know a whole generation of kids that don't know how to use their cell phones. They only know how to scroll and, and um, they don't because I think a lot of them have been told to put it away. Don't use that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I don't want to make that same mistake here with AI. Yeah, no, I, I'm on the same page. Um, it's been really cool to like think about different ways that we can use it. And I think that, one of the coolest things that it helps with is taking kind of complicated subject matter and simplifying it. And I've used that personally. And I'm like, hmm, I don't really understand this. Like, can you explain this to me, ChatGPT? And I think that there's ways that we can capture that for our students and teach them, um, you know, how to become more independent, which is what my ultimate goal is, is that you feel successful and you did it on your own. Um, and I think that knowing what to ask it is a huge piece of that. Yeah, and compare that to a search. I always now look at a search. If I just go do a search, I wonder, hmm, am I really getting the most accurate information? Or uh, am I getting the person that paid for the highest is it, you know, spot on the, on the ranking? Or um, do these people just really understand search engine optimization? So that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best information, right? So that, so search plus AI, and then of course those are becoming intertwined. Uh, uh, heck, even by the time this episode airs, I think so many people are going to be using those things together, you know? Um, 
that they won't necessarily be separated. Uh, but the idea is that you're getting your information from multiple sources. And so just complex information that you can get um, uh, broken down into smaller parts gets you onto the green, you know, like uh, before I didn't even know what this stuff was. Now I have a better understanding so I can go do deeper learning. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that the interactivity of the AI is really helpful. So it's like the first time it comes back with something, I can say, can you make that shorter and more concise? I can say, can you simplify that? <laughs> so it's like I keep being able to get the information I need if I know how to interact with it. Um, and I think that's helpful because sometimes like I'll have kids and they'll, they're independently saying, hey, Siri, you know, can you define fill in the blank, right? Um, so we're using features like that. But sometimes what happens is the definition comes back and it's still over my kid's head. Like they're still not grasping it. And so I think that, you know, being able to ask follow-up questions is really helpful. And that's one of the things that I've been really loving and working on with my students is like that problem solving process, right? It's like, okay, what did it come back with? Is that enough? No. How would, what would we say to, you know, help, help it better understand what we're trying to ask it, right? Like these are the kind of live troubleshooting that we can do with our students to figure out how to use the tool optimally. Well, I think that would be an awesome use is um, of, of ChatGPT or really any AI is to well, where you're having a conversation that back and forth that you're talking about is imagine saying uh, ChatGPT, I want you to pretend you are my potential employer. Please ask me three interview questions about X. And then now you ask the question and then you answer it and then you ask another question and answer it and you're having this conversation back and forth so that you're preparing for the real job interview that's coming up tomorrow. You know what I mean? What a great skill to practice in a safe, safe, uh, constrained um, environment without any judgment, with anyone on there going like, you'd ask that question. And again, our role as therapist slash educator slash parent slash family member is to guide them through that experience so that maybe they're knowing what would be good responses or what would be, um, is, uh, what would you do differently to get a better response? You know? Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that it's just going to keep taken over and we're going to keep figuring out new innovative ways to use the tools and technology and definitely excited. If you're listening to this episode, you're like, Oh, like I have this new thing I've been doing with AI and my therapy, please send us an email, reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear from you and just crowdsource some of the ways that people are using this technology, um, to help support their students. So tell us a little bit about the interview today, Rachel. Chris, we had the pleasure of having Rebecca Gettings on our podcast. Rebecca is an amazing parent. Uh, she's based in a rural town in Arizona. And you and I both know Rebecca because she came last year when we presented our full day course uh, for the Department of Education in Arizona. She attended our session. And uh, I had known Rebecca prior to that. Um, we had done a consult together. Um, she has a son, Carter, who has complex communication needs, is an AAC user using eye tracking and she doesn't have access to a lot of resources in a rural town in Arizona called Yuma over I've known her for over over a year and um, we wanted to have her on the podcast because she's been doing some really amazing advocacy not only for her son but also for her community in Yuma and um, 
really excited to to share the episode where she talks all about her experience um, as a parent, but also, you know, her her experience teaching and teaching other people about AAC, which just makes me so happy and makes me so proud that we were able to to have Rebecca you know, feel so empowered and so knowledgeable about AAC that she was able to start training other people. So without further ado, let's listen to our interview with Rebecca Gettings. If you enjoy talking with tech, we could use your help in spreading the word about the podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews the podcast gets, the easier it becomes for others to find it. The more people who find the podcast, the more the word spreads about how to effectively consider and implement AAC. And who doesn't want that? If that sounds good to you, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick review. We'd so very much appreciate it. Now, let's get back into the episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. Hi, Rachel. We're also joined by Rebecca Gettings. Rebecca, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Okay. So Rebecca, just start off uh, by sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then I'm excited to kind of share our story of how we all know each other. So my name is Rebecca and I live in Yuma, Arizona, and I have um, a large family. Um, I have six children and um, I have twins and one of my twins has cerebral palsy. And we started um, on our AAC journey um, um, when he was three and we are we're rolling around and trying to really get into the literacy part of it. And um, that's when I kind of uh, learned a lot from you guys. <laughs> Yes, I feel like Rebecca, you are a big fan of talking with tech, which we love um, when we hear that our podcast makes a difference and an impact. And um, I think the first kind of part of our journey is Rebecca, you reached out to me um, to do a, a coaching call because um, you were like, I have all these ideas and I just haven't been able to get the support. I live in a rural uh, place and can we you know, hop on a call together. And of course I said, yes. And, um, that's kind of where we started discovering a lot more about literacy. And I feel like your journey kind of took off. Yes, that's exactly it. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I, um, starting with an AAC device, um, we actually had it for several years and I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand what the icons meant. I didn't understand icon rationale. It was just a maze for me to try to figure out words. And, um, I was listening to your show and I literally learned that through your show. And then I could go back and, and do research on it and figure out what in the world that means. And so, um, by listening to your show, I did put a lot of things in place. And, um, at that time, um, literacy was very important to me and I really wanted my son to learn to read and to write and, um, learn all those emergent literacy skills. And I had an SLP tell me that, um, that's, that's not what SLPs do. You need more of a teacher in order to do literacy. And so that is when I, I reached out to you so that you could help me, um, overcome some of those barriers. Well, Rebecca, <laughs> Let me let me take us back for a second. It sounds like you were given an AAC device, like like here you go. Um, it dropped from the sky, and there you go. Like, oh, can you talk us through what that initial experience was and what your evolution was with AAC? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So Carter was about 
three. Um, and in Yuma, we have to, uh, they contract with um, different companies that will come to Yuma. And a lot of people don't want to come to Yuma. It's not, I love Yuma myself um, and I don't want to move, but um, a lot of people don't want to travel from Phoenix to Yuma. And so um, it's hard to find people to to provide that contract support. And, but we had a wonderful agency through NAU and they came out and they did an evaluation on Carter when he was three or four years old. Um, and what happened was, is he got, it was an amazing experience. Um, they came out, I think they had a, an accent. It was an eye gaze and, um, the speech pathologist, um, she put different things that Carter liked on the eye gaze device. And he was able to pick from three different things that he wanted to, um, I think there was, uh, I think there was a book, there was an iPad and some sort of toy. And he was able to use his eyes to be able to tell us that he wanted the iPad. So it was like his first time communicating in a way that everybody could understand. And I, you know, just about teared up and well, I did tear up. It was a really mm -hmm. emotional um, thing for me. And um, so the team then left, uh, they ordered this, they, they proved that he could use an AAC device and they left. And what happened, it took a year for us to actually get the device. And, and within that year, the contracts changed for DDD. And so NAU never, no longer came to Yuma. And so there was a new company that came to Yuma. And so we had to start all over. So I had the AAC device, but I didn't have the support that it came with. Um, and at the time, I did not understand that um, that I was supposed to reach out to somebody from PRC. I didn't understand any of that. And so, what happened was was a speech a new speech pathologist would come in, and and they didn't understand the systems and have had never used an AAC device either. And so, we were just kind of fumbling through this process. And so, we only put eight um, squares, um, uh, grids, eight because that's all I could follow. I didn't. I didn't understand, you know, how to follow that process. And so, and then, and then that speech pathologist left and a new speech pathologist came And this. I mean, I, we've gone through maybe, I don't know, probably 14 speech pathologists in our lifetime, um, Carter has. And, um, so then this speech, so then a new speech pathologist would come, we'd start all over again. So eventually, um, the device actually just kind of got put on a shelf, um, the other thing that was really challenging was Carter has a lot of um, gross motor needs and he he has to, in an eye gaze, you have to really be able to, you, you have to be in a certain position to be able to actually use it. Carter didn't even have a wheelchair. He had nothing to be able to support him so that he actually could be in the right position to hit those keys. At the time, I didn't know those things and, and we didn't have an OT either to guide us through that. So it started off very rocky. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think, Rebecca, you're kind of pointing to um, a scenario that might be, you know, familiar to other families, um, you know, having initial support during the assessment process and then not having a plan for continued support. And, you know, I want to make this point because I think it's an important one. Part of what we should be doing as uh, SLPs and AT specialists, people who are doing these assessments is educating the family about the whole process, right? Like we have this very, very awesome opportunity when we are trialing an eye gaze system to be talking about things like positioning and why I, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing and how I'm manipulating the device. And, you know, the fact that you have support through the company that, you know, funded that we get this device funded through uh, or funded for rather 
And so it's just like, I feel like we have this opportunity that if we're not educating families as we're working alongside of them during the assessment process, then like, we're not really doing, we're not doing our jobs right. (laughs) Because, you know, then we have families like, you know, you who don't know how to keep moving forward and don't know very essential things like positioning for eye tracking as an example here. Rebecca, I also heard two very painful truths in your story so far, and uh, everything Rachel just said, and that many speech-language pathologist skills vary. So the first one did know about AAC and was uh, ready, it sounds like, stood ready to uh, do the assessment, came up with something that actually brought you to tears with how well it worked, uh, was starting you on a path, and then the system changed. And then the next one came in and didn't have the same set of skills that the first one did. And then as the 14 that you've experienced so far, it's probably, I'm just betting here, all over the map with how uh, consistent the experience is. Is that so is that first, let me just ask, is that fair that, that, uh, um, okay. So you're giving me the thumbs up, like, yes, that's fair. Yes. And then the, the second thing is that um, somewhere along the way, you realize it's going to be me. <laughs> it's going to be us because, you, uh, no matter, no matter what kid, um, any family, their likelihood that they're going to have multiple speech language pathologists and teachers is maybe it's not 14, but it's probably somewhere in that ballpark of, of seven to 20 um, because someone will move from preschool and then have a new speech therapist at elementary and then have a new speech therapist at middle and then a new at high and then new when they transition out. And that's at least four baked, four or five baked into just how the process works, let alone turnovers and transitions and changes in, um, in funding and all that sort of stuff. So it, it, as soon as possible, we'd want to say, okay, I have to learn this. As, so is that all fair? And what are your comments on that? Absolutely. And I wish that I would have understood that, you know, my son is now 13 and I feel like I didn't realize that until about five years ago. And I feel like I've lost all of that time because not only is my son not able to communicate using, you know, his, his, um, you know, his voice, his, uh, his own voice, um, he needs an AAC device, um, which is his voice, but, but I, he also has cognitive disabilities, so it takes him a lot longer to learn. So I feel like I missed that huge emergent literacy and language time when we could have been using it like we use it now. And I, I have regrets and I feel bad. So if I could give any advice at all to any single parent is really, you know, learn it, you know, do the best you can find out information, listen to talking with, um, uh, because it, it is because once you understand it, it's super easy, but it's making that jump to understanding what's going on. That is really difficult. And, and we are the ones that are with our children the rest of their lives. We are the only consistent in their life. As a matter of fact, my son um, started school after kind of COVID was over and he turned 12 and he's only been in school for a year and a half. And he's already had three speech and language pathologists at his school. So, and two teachers. So, so nothing is consistent. Every time there's a change, everybody has to be on the same page. And it takes a lot of training and a lot of time to get everybody up to speed as to what, what Carter can do, or even the other students in his class. And, um, you know, it takes 
most of the year. And then finally they figure it out and then the teacher leaves and, or the speech pathologist leaves. So yes, it, it really is, is I'm the one that's going to be with him. I'm the one that I know that I'm going to have to learn it so that I, I'm the consistency in his life. And maybe, uh, let me ask his siblings. Would yeah, be oh. the other? <laughs> uh, I ha- yes, absolutely. I don't know what I would do without his siblings. As a matter of fact, they are the best communication partners that you could ever want. And they are the ones that are teaching other people by showing them how to, how to interact and how, what, what wait time looks like. The problem is, is a lot of people just don't wait. And so Carter has learned that nobody's going to wait for me. So why do I bother saying anything? And so the kids are just incredible. Anytime we go anywhere, they'll say something to him and, and they will wait and wait and wait to almost, it's an uncomfortableness, but the other people around us are learning. And, you know, as soon as Carter says something or, or makes a comment, you know, they're, they are just, it's sad to say, but they're amazed. They they don't think that he can do those things. And it's just giving him the opportunity. And, and his brothers and sisters are definitely the key to most of his success. Oh, I love hearing that, Rebecca. It's just like kids learn so much better from other kids than they do from adults. And so I love that you've created a a culture of AAC in your family and everyone is learning how to become better communication partners, practicing those skills and really modeling for the community what that looks like and how that can, you know, how that can happen. Um, So I love that you shared that about his siblings and kind of your whole family dynamic. Um, It sounds like you guys are a family that speak AAC, which is exactly what AAC users need. Yeah, we are. And I think our favorite time is dinner time. That is a point, you know, everybody gets home kind of late from school and from their activities. And so we try to make a point at dinner time to make sure that that is a time that we really focus on all of us being able to connect. And I was sitting at dinner last night and I thought, gosh, if people could just see what this looks like, they would just, you know, really have an understanding of what a beautiful thing it is. Rebecca, let me take you back to what you, having reflected now on what uh, that initial experience was, if you could give advice to a, a new family that was just starting out and they, they just realized because they just heard this podcast, oh, so there's going to be a lot of transition of the my support, like the, the speech therapist, but I love my speech therapist right now. They're, they're not going to stay with us. What were some advice you might give them about implementing AAC right away? I, I clearly heard one already, provide wait time, but what are some other strategies that you would say do right now? Learn the language and understand what it looks like to navigate the language. Um, you know, Carter uses Unity. And if you use, as you know, when you use the icons, they represent something. So it opens up a new page. That was the most, if you don't know that, you can't use Unity or LAMP. You cannot. It's just become a memory. You have to memorize where all the words are. Um, knowing that a capital letter in Unity opens to another page. I, I didn't know those things. It was so, so challenging. So just knowing the language that your child has on their device. And the other thing really is is modeling. I, I didn't know how to model. Everything we did is ask questions. You know, Carter, what color is this? Carter, what number is this? Carter, who is this? Everything was a question. Everything was a question. And he could answer questions pretty well, but he did not 
engage in any other sort of communication um, except for that. So um, I think those are three really important things. Well, let me just comment on that. That is uh, the experience that you just shared. I think we hear quite a bit, specifically around Unity and Lamp Words for Life or that that particular system. When you open it up and just start playing with it, you think it's the dumbest thing that's ever been. Like, who came up with this? And then when someone shows you kind of the hidden patterns, like you just said, the 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 capitals, right? And how if things are capital, it actually is a it means it's leading you to something else and it's not going to say the word and how they're in the same spot and how it's minimal number of hits. And it's like, all right, these people didn't screw it up. I just didn't understand it. I wish someone had taught me that because I wouldn't have had to wrestle through it as as much. Um so so I think that is just something I know I strive for in my neck of the woods is try and make sure like nobody gets it first without a training that comes along with it because you will uh, ultimately, like you said, it'll end up on the shelf like, well, I don't get that and that's not making me feel great. So I'm going to put it over here. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I also think that what happens is that we get a new AAC system, if we're lucky, we get a little bit of training on that system. And I think what happens more often than not is the training is like how to program a word and like these things that we can just like hit a, hit a YouTube search on and find easily where I think, you know, parents and communication partners, like teachers and paraprofessionals get stuck is like, what do I actually do with this thing? Like, once I know how to add words, like, how do I actually implement? And it's one of my biggest kind of frustrations uh, with the process um, that I currently see unfold. It's like, and and I'll be really honest, I might even have said this to you, Rebecca, like, you can Google how to like, you know, change some of the settings and things like that. But like, what you can't Google is how I can help you by asking specific questions to figure out what are some motivating opportunities and specific word targets, so that you can actually start using this and seeing, you know, your your child start using it. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because it's like, I was in a meeting the other day and I was just like, why, what, what have they taught you? They're like, well, we know how to add a button. We know how to change the colors. I'm like, okay, so basically nothing. <laughs> we basically learned things that like you can go to YouTube and search, um, you know, really what you need is an implementation plan. And then Rebecca, I just want to say, I think a great strategy for any teacher listening right now, any speech therapist listening right now, is to go and just observe someone else interacting with a child who uses AAC and count the number of questions they're asking. Uh, that is, And then you can measure the baseline because you're going to see, uh, guarantee what you're going to see is uh, go now into a, another classroom and count the number of questions that are being asked to someone who doesn't use AAC. And you're going to see this drastic change, how the numbers, the numbers of questions are so much higher for the AAC user than any other person. Um, and so, whoa, how can we then use that quantitative uh, number and say, how can we decrease that? How can we just be more modeling and make it more natural and not this uh, weird, formative, I'm asking you drill and kill questions. I can, I can just picture poor Carter being like, oh, here comes the question people again. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that is definitely one of the things that is the hard, that was the hardest was to stop asking questions. Um, but once, once you like, like learn 
the, the being comfortable with answering your own questions. Once you um, are comfortable talking, like if you're reading a book and, and, you know, you can point out what's going on in the book instead of saying, Oh, what color is the bear? Oh, what color is the car? Instead of doing those things saying, Oh, I wonder what the bear is thinking. Hmm. I really like the bear's t-shirt. It's blue. That's one of my favorite colors. It's just a really different way of thinking. Also the core words. I mean, I didn't understand a core word. And so I was doing exactly what Rachel was talking about is programming answers to questions in the device because I knew how to do that, right? But I didn't understand how to do that descriptive teaching. And and that is just like this aha moment. If I would have known that at the time, that would have made also all the difference in the world. Um, and um, I did go to one of your trainings and you guys did do the... Um, the board, the core board, and you asked us to, um, you know, how many, how many phrases and sentences can you use with this core board versus a core board that's filled with nouns? And it, and it was very poignant and it was very, um, like this aha moment. And it's, I think it's a wonderful thing to dem everybody should have to go through so that they understand why we're not putting all of these nouns on it or why we're not putting all of these things on it because we don't use those words all the time. Well, Rebecca, I asked you the question, if you could go back or you could talk to your parents, let's imagine this fictitious scenario where you got to go into a school and you had one hour in a school to share with what to do and put it all in big caps. You have one hour. Well, what would you share? <laughs> So, so I have to say that that is exactly what I sh would do is that activity with the core boards. Actually, I I did that. I had the opportunity um, in our school district to be able to provide a professional development on AAC. Um, and I started out with what AAC was uh, because a lot of people don't know. And then I did that exact activity. And I have to tell you, um, it was a room filled with special educators and there wasn't anyone that after they filled out their boards that they could make sentences with it. So it was really, um, it really hit home and, um, and it, it was just a wonderful experience. And I felt like that alone reached all of those participants and, um, really kind of spearheaded kind of a snowball effect with some of the stuff that are, that's being done in Carter school now. So. Yeah, Rebecca, we were really excited. So you mentioned that you came to one of our trainings. So you came from Yuma all the way to Phoenix when Chris and I, I think it was last, last, May. last year, right? Yeah, yeah. last May. Um, and you sat with us all day long. We did our full day training, uh, which was awesome and um, was really powerful. The ex the experiences that you shared and you might have been the only parent, I think, in the room, um, but it was just really eye opening to listen to your experience and especially about uh, your your journey with literacy. So I wanted to kind of highlight that um, and have you share a little bit about what that looked like, because I, I'll never forget the video that you sent me that was like, look, like Carter has literacy skills, like look at him go. And so I want you to just share a little bit about what that process looked like um, and how that really unfolded for you, because it sounds like, you know, you got the AAC system, you didn't exactly know how to use it. You started learning some of these skills and strategies, and then you uncovered, you know, this whole idea of literacy and how to help Carter learn literacy skills. Um, so I want you to just share a little bit about that experience. 
Yeah. So I am a teacher by trade and I, I know a lot about literacy skills, especially merchant literacy. I taught kindergarten first, second, and I know these things. I know how to do them. And, you know, when I first started school, first started teaching in our school district here years ago, a long time ago, um, the book by Patricia Cunningham, um, the four blocks was something that we, we were, we had to teach by that. That's what we had to do. And so when I listened to your podcast and, um, then I went to the Loma podcast and then they had a great series on literacy and they had Karen Erickson's book, um, comprehensive literacy for all. I got the book. I listened to every one of those podcasts and I've followed Karen Erickson and all of her wonderful things. And, um, but it was so familiar to me. I mean, it was so familiar to me. I was missing the core words. I was missing how to use an AAC device, but I knew how to do all that stuff. And so once I read that, I had another aha moment. I just filled my whole life with these wonderful moments that I'm like, oh, I've got it. I've got it. Um, and we as teachers know how to do those things, right? But we we don't know the AAC stuff side of it. And so, um, so the emergent literacy was really easy for me to take off with. And especially with the advice that you guys have given, like find what does, you know, you always said, what does Carter really, really like use that, use it as his motivation. So Carter really, really likes this kiddo from Phoenix that his parents, um, see him get on the bus every single day and they put it on YouTube. And so Carter loves to watch that. So he's very motivated by that. So we started filming Carter getting on the bus. Well, well, that was such a motivation to him for him to ask to watch television. And but to us, every day looks the same. But to Carter, every day has just something a little bit different. And so he so we'd start looking, oh, the cat ran in front of the bus. So then we'd model, oh, look at look at today, the cat ran in front of the bus. And so we'd be able to model those things. And then he loves, loves, loves the bus, right? So we start working on the word bus and spelling the word bus and using an alternative pencil to write the word bus. And these are, these seem so simple. I mean, you know, it's stuff that we miss because it's so important to them because their, their lives aren't as, they don't have all the experiences that we have. It's exactly what happens in their day-to-day life. That's what Carter can talk about. That's what Carter relates to. Those are the things that he has feelings about. And so I use those videos. I still use those videos every day as ways to say, you know, Hey, look at what happened today. Oh, it rained in Yuma. Remember when it rained and using the word remember. So they're, they're him in the video. So often I can say, Hmm, which bus video do you want to watch today? Hmm. I remember the one on Halloween. Oh, do you remember the one on Halloween? And then use the word Halloween. And then he, then he can talk back to me and say, Oh yeah, I want to watch the one from Halloween. So even though all these videos are him getting on the bus every single day, it provides the perfect opportunity for him to be able to talk about something that happened in his day. And you can use the words today. You can use the word yesterday. You can use the word, the words from the past. It is, it was the most incredible thing that I started doing. And, and I truly did get that from you guys. Um, so thank you for helping me find that, um, you know, learning his passions and really using what he likes in order to um, engage in communication. Excellent. Excellent. That's so awesome. You know, something else you said there, Rebecca, was that teachers know how to do this. But for some reason, for some kids, we often 
just don't, or we maybe don't presume that we should or that we could. Um, but as far as teaching uh, teaching literacy and teaching kids how to read, there's been strategies around for years, right? And you just illustrated a few with great examples. And then doing stuff that's motivating for kids, well, that's just following a learner's lead. We've been using uh, pop culture references too as a, as a catalyst for creating uh, engaging experiences. Um, there's lots of fun ways we can make it not just so dry and boring and follow the, what the student really likes. And maybe even tease them with some things they don't know they like yet, you know, um, give them a little bit of, uh, of, Hey, have you, have you, have you seen this new thing, you know, and see if that's something that they gravitate towards. Yeah, absolutely. And so then, you know, we use that bus and we use the bus in different scenarios and in different videos. And, and before Carter would only watch the bus videos. Now we can watch a TV show with a bus and bus in it. Now he's actually watching sitcoms he we've you know we've been able to take that little itty bitty experience and expand what he knows in order for him to enjoy um different things on the tv or different books or different experiences so that's been that's been really helpful i love it you're you're helping carter share and connect about his life experience, which really is like the whole point of all this, right? Is like, why do we communicate? It's to connect with those around us and to share our experiences and our life. And I love hearing this, this idea and this kind of uh, strategy, I guess you've used with the buses, um, just because there's no more authentic experience than like helping him communicate about his life and like what he does and what he's interested in and motivated by. Can I ask, can I go back to the presentation for a second? So you got to present for an hour to some teachers. Sounds like they you moved the needle in a big way. Did you receive any feedback and what came next? Yeah, so I did. I, I got a lot of um, people, uh, not a lot, but several um, people reached out to me and, and asked for more information, asked where they could find more information on Karen Erickson and... Um, pro project core and things like that. So I was able to share that. Um, then I was also asked to, um, at a junior high to, um, to present about AAC to teachers that typically might have an AAC user, you know, maybe not very often. Um, and just so that people would be more aware of you know, what is this thing, this box that's in front of these people, why in front of these students, why are these kids carrying the iPad so that they would have some knowledge of what it was. So I kind of called it um, AAC 101. And really what that was, I had two, two things that I really wanted to, um, uh, for them to understand by the time that I left. And, and the first thing was, what is an AAC device? What do we use it for? And, you know, what's a core word in core boards? How do we, how do we you know, use these in our classes with our students. And um, so I, I did the same activity with the core boards with them. And again, none of them were able to um, make sentences using the words that they put on their own core board. And then when I showed them the core board, you know, they were just amazed. And then of course, after I show them a, a typical, a real core board and have them make sentences with that, I always show a keyboard and say, okay, so how many sentences, comments, questions can you make with this? And, you know, they're just like, oh, you know, we, we get it. Um, and then I also, uh, during that uh, presentation, I also, um, 
asked them to make sure that they always had their AAC devices or their core boards with them because they these students need to have them. So if a para brings them into the classroom and they don't have a core board or they don't have their AAC device, maybe as the teacher you could say, hey, you know, where's where's Carter's AAC device? Or does he have his low-tech core board? Mom says it's always on the back of his wheelchair. And just ask for it because it always needs to be with them. And the other thing I was, I did is, is I explained to, um, it kind of showed them how, um, how it's, it's okay if a student doesn't answer you right away and it's okay to give them wait time and it's okay to model what you'd like them to answer so that they were comfortable because a lot of times it comes down to the comfort of the person, of the teacher that's asking questions and because they're not quite sure how how to do it because, um, you know, students um, with complex communication needs don't necessarily answer really quickly back like typical kids. And so that wait time might be 30 seconds and it's really uncomfortable if you're not used to it. And then what do you do if they don't answer, you know? As a teacher, you're like, oh, if they don't answer, you know, what do I do next? And so that that was kind of my mission is for them to understand what AAC was, what core words are, and then how can I, you know, best help a student in my class that is an AAC user? And, um, you know, just starting, just what can I do right now? You know, what what can I do right now? And, and that wait time and um, being okay with answering your own question and modeling it back was where things that we kind of talked about so I, like I got you, good feedback i feel yeah. i got good feedback on that too actually afterwards i had some people come up to me and they wanted to know more because they had uh, they had carter in, in their class and and other students and they wanted to know more and ask for more information so so that was really good and so what comes next do you get to go back and present again or is uh was it one and done how what's 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 the next action item here so I have been really fortunate and um, the assistant superintendent of um, the school district here came to one of my um, one of my presentations. And then um, so I asked for a follow up with her and asked if um, somehow we can get some of this information into the school. And I actually um, presented on the specific um language first approach and talked about that a little bit. And so they. Um, the assistant superintendent and the director of special education and the um, the preschool director um, ha were all there at the meeting and took into just really seemed to be um, excited about some of the things that I talked about. And they they were very thankful that I came and talked to them and they would like to have a follow up meeting and somehow um um, have me be able to help in whatever way I can to um, be able to facilitate some of these things. They were very excited about it. Um, so that was, it was, it was a good experience. It, they were very open and very genuine and, and I couldn't have, it couldn't have been a better experience. <laughs> um, and I explained to them, you know, I, I would love to teach. I would love right now to go back to teaching, but having a child that, you know, weekly I'm headed to Phoenix for medical appointments or for different appointments for him. And, and it's a six hour drive, you know, three hours there, three hours back. You know, I, I can't right now, um, you know, hold a job that, that someone's going to rely on me. And so I, I explained that to them and said, I'd really like to get back though in this way when I'm available and can do it. So, um, it, it, 
it, it was great. It was wonderful. I would love to teach. I, would, I can't wait to go back to teaching. It just doesn't fit into our lifestyle right now. So, Rebecca, I think it's so amazing to hear kind of the journey that you've had and uh, you know, it started with just not being able to access the support and the information that you needed in order to help your son learn how to communicate and how, learn literacy skills and learn all the things that, you know, he needs to be learning in school because without access to communication, like we can't access education. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it started with you not having the information that you needed, but I want to call out how amazing your journey has looked because you've sought out the information that you've needed. You've looked to podcasts like ours, online resources, professionals that can help you, professional development courses for, you know, professionals. Um, you've done all of those things. And now it's kind of full circle. You're able to give that back to, you know, your small community that doesn't always have access to, you know, the resources that, um, you know, many families like yours need. And so it's just like for me, zooming out and looking at the big picture here, it's just a really remarkable story that I'm very excited to share with our listeners. And I'm, I know that it will inspire other parents who, you know, are in a similar situation, um, that it is possible to kind of learn what you need to know. And it might not have been the easiest path that you were on, but you know, at the end of the day, like Carter is learning, growing in his communication skills, growing in his literacy development. Um, so it's just, it's really awesome that you were able to come on and share your experience today. Rebecca, it sounds like a passion of yours is teaching. And that I would, if I heard you correctly, that there's some logistics in the way that means you can't be a full-time teacher right now, right? There might be some online opportunities or something like that, or somewhere in the future that's that that might be a thing. But right now, the practical logistics do, don't make that a reality. Is there any other projects that you're involved in, though, that um, that 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 you are doing or that you can do? Yeah. So, um, myself and two other people, um, got together and we actually started this nonprofit in Yuma. It's called the inspire high project. High stands for hope and inclusion. Um, we it's, we it, just the three of us. And so we have, um, we're just a little tiny, um, organization. And some of the things that we have been able to do is, um, we have been able to, uh, last Christmas, we did an adaptive toy drive. So we adapted over 40 toys and other products. So it's not just for kids because, you know, adults in nursing homes or adults that have, um, gross motor issues can also use many adaptive, um, fun things as well. So we, um, adapted over 40, um, items and we handed them out for, for Christmas to kiddos in the early intervention programs here in Yuma and also at a few nursing homes. Um, and we, it was a really, really great opportunity and it was wonderful. Um, and, uh, we got a lot of really good feedback and parents and, um, and, and, uh, care homes were very excited to get some of those items. Um, we are also, um, we also just recently did the art festival here in Yuma. And what that looks like is that it's kind of like a fair downtown and we um we made adaptable art so that everybody could can produce art i made these um thinking in the terms of carter um carter cannot grab things so 
I made out of bowls. These I call them palm painters, and I put different textures on them and elastic on them. We made a whole bunch of them, so everybody could come and they could do palm painting of all these different colors. We also had adapted um, spin art with um, switches, and of course, we had adaptive bubble painting, which was really fun. We had all these bubble machines with colored bubbles on inside of it. And so they were switch adapted. So everybody could come by and press the buttons and then colored bubbles would fly through the air. And then the kids would try to catch the bubbles with their paper. And so they'd have yeah. bubble splatters all over um, and made bubble art. So it was a lot of fun. We had a really good time. Um, and then um, one last thing that um, Alexis, she's on our board, she's working really hard at is our inclusive playground project. Um, she has um, is spearheaded talking to the city and going to city council meetings to try to collaborate on getting inclusive playground equipment at our local park. And we are happy to say that um, the city is putting in, I think it's the WeGo Swing, um, in June or July. So we will have one um, piece of universally designed equipment that um, student, uh, I'm sorry, that um, uh, people in wheelchairs, children in wheelchairs, whoever, who you don't have to be in a wheelchair, but if you are, you can get on it and actually participate um, in, in being included in play instead of just being a bystander. So, um, so we're really excited about all those projects. Um, Rebecca, I'm smiling from year to year for many reasons. The first thought is um, the way you started out saying, well, there's just three of us. It sounds like uh, small but mighty. Look at what you've already created. Uh, um, the, the second thing that I'm thinking about is uh, all the adaptive toys and the adaptive art experiences that you're talking about. I feel like uh, like you said, those are sort of universally designed. Anybody can create art that way. Anybody can um, can can uh, experience the joy of playing playing with toys and creating art. Um, it's just finding different ways to do that. And it makes me wonder, and we've certainly had people on the podcast talk about this, how we could get other students involved doing that in maker spaces and uh, it's really, or, or art teachers, you know, yeah, why don't we do this? Why don't we do a lesson around this for everybody, you know, um, because uh, it makes school much that much more authentic and that much more enjoyable when you're actually creating things and doing things that, that help everybody. And then um the last thing that I'm really smiling about is that literally this morning I was on a call with a someone in my school district talking about um, how our playground equipment is all ADA compliant, but it could be more inclusive and that those two things are not mutually exclusive and mentioning exactly the same uh, the exactly the same equipment that you're talking about, like. Um, you can't just have a a giant adapted swing where you put um, a wheelchair in a swing because the it, it could be a real safety hazard. This large piece of equipment swinging back and forth it hits somebody, but you could certainly put that that into a, a merry-go-round sort of situation where anybody could could go in there. And like you said, it's universally designed. So thinking through the lens of what other equipment out there can we use to create more universally designed playgrounds is super exciting to me. Yeah. So our goal, um, Alexis, like I have to give Alexis credit because she's been working really hard on it. Alexis Liggett, um, she's on our board. Uh, the WeGo Swing is the first piece of equipment that we are definitely going to get. There's a play sway fun swing and, um, and uh, communication 
boards um, that we are going to put up as well. So. Yeah, that's exactly what prompted my conversation was like, hmm, how can we do communication boards? And then what else can we do to make it more inclusive? So it's still great that I'm on the East Coast and you're out West and we're all having the same sort of conversations. I think it's wonderful too. I, I did have a question for you. Can I ask you a question? Of course. So I, um, so communication boards are, you know, when you put them in a playground, you really can't use them. You know, now sign language boards, you can take sign language, you can actually take your hands with you and you can go do sign language. You can learn some sign language on the board. You can go and play and inside um, the tunnel or down the slide, you can, you know, use your words um, with your hands, but a communication board, you, you know, it's really hard unless you have that with you. So what we really wanted to do is we kind of wanted to see what you guys might think about how, making a communication board and maybe some fun ways to make it so people understand what a communication board is for that purpose and not for the purpose of, you know, somebody using it because that's not really practical on a playground, right? Um, unless they have it with them. But, you know, ways to make those communication boards so people people have those aha moments and say, oh, I get it. And so they might see Jimmy with his, you know, um, iPad and be able to see what he's doing and have some understanding of, oh, I see what Jimmy's doing. I see how he's doing that. I have two ideas. Um, okay. The first one is with the boards themselves. Something you could do is QR codes are all the rage and everyone knows how to use them. So imagine a QR code on that stationary board because I've had the same criticism. Like, yeah, it's really hard when you're on the top of that swing to use that communication board that's down at the entrance of the uh, of the playground or wherever it's posted. But a QR code on there and be like, want to learn how to use this? You know, someone could scan that QR code. It brings up, uh, well, it brings up what is the next question? Does it bring up a website? Mm, probably not fast enough, although there could be lots of resources there. Does it bring up a quick YouTube video of Carter explaining how it's being used, you know what I mean? Um, or someone else or examples of how it's being used around. And then why one QR code? There could be QR codes around the playground about how this is accessible, how it's inclusive and how it could, how whatever it is could be used. So that's one idea is QR codes. The second idea is uh, actually sort of drawn from inspiration about you, what you were saying with uh, the siblings and the family showing, uh, being great modelers for wait time. Well, imagine um, a, com a group of students that are the communication committee at the school. And what their job was, was maybe, maybe from the leadership of the speech language pathologist, or maybe it's mo moms or whoever is the, the spearhead of it, um, leads the group in teaching them about how to be, become better communication partners. And their job then is to say, okay, uh, as part of this committee, you go out onto the playground, but not just the playground. You also go around the school and the cafeteria and the and the gym and, and the community out uh, at large. But let's just start at the playground and say, what do we need to do to be better communication partners? Well, what if we took this large core board that we have posted in this one location, we made mini versions of it, and you put, put them up around the playground? Where would you put them? What would you need to do to make them more durable so that, you know, uh, the hot summer Yuma sun doesn't uh, crack the, 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 the lamination or um, the rain doesn't wash it out? Or... Um, maybe you are, you start with something and you know, it's not the right thing, but, um, you grow from there. Oh, it didn't last in the hot Yuma sun. What are we going to do to fix it next time? Communication committee, but you put kids in charge of making it better. Ooh, it's, we decided to, to make this 
put this little ring here that has some um, uh, that that has attached to it this core board, this mini core board, a mini version of it, and it got all ratty. You know, it's ratty. Can we can we can we get a new one? Let's let's okay, guys, you're on it. You know, um, having that committee be in charge, the kids will run it. It, and it hits, it crosses off all the, uh, it checks all the boxes, right? You got the next generation learning how to become better communication partners. Uh, you've got them working and solving authentic problems that helps their community. Uh, you've got community, uh, the students who use AAC having uh, more peers and friends that know how to interact with them. It just seems like a win-win-win when that committee is in charge or in place. What do you think? I, I love it. I love getting kids involved, other people involved, because if, if, you know, if it's us, just us doing it, then, you know, we can only spread a little bit at a time. But if we get kids and, and a community involved, then, then hopefully we can just take over. Right. I mean, that's what we're looking to do. <laughs> yeah. And then next year when, when Carter eventually moves on to go to high school, who's running the communication committee here at the school. It's, it's systemic. It lasts, you know, it's got some, it's got some um, longevity to it. Love it. One Thank of, you. One of the things that I think is really awesome about these large core boards and at playgrounds, like you mentioned, Rebecca, it's not the practicality of it, right? Because even if we have kids that are, you know, ambulatory and can run around, they're not going to typically stop swinging to then go touch a word on the communication board. But you mentioned there's this opportunity for, you know, building awareness around AAC, creating a inclusive environment. Um, I love the idea of the QR codes. That's exactly what I thought, Chris, when you started listening, I was like, yes, QR codes. I actually have a YouTube video of what is a communication board and why would we, you know, use it? Um, I love the idea of, um, you know, linking maybe to like a Padlet or a Wakelet or something that has information for people to learn more. Cause oftentimes it's like, okay, I've learned what it is, but then like, what if I'm still interested or I know a student in my class that might actually really benefit from this. So like thinking about all the different people that will potentially scan that QR code and really helping guide the path for them for learning more. Um, and I think you could do that with, there's a lot of amazing resources online now um, and things that have helped you like the Loma podcast as an example, like you could include that in some type of wakelet or padlet um, for people who are interested in learning more. So really? I just wanted to add that. It could be multiple QR codes, one on one side. Here's it. Watch a quick video. So you get the idea. Want more resources? Go to this other or at the end of the video or both. Right. Uh, all those are great ideas. Re Rebecca, you thank you for listening. You said you've been listening to the podcast for a while. Is there um, any questions you've been wanting to ask us or other things that you want to like just say like, oh, because I've been listening. There was this moment that I just want to say this to you. Like, is there what other what else is on your mind? Well, I, honestly, I could go on and on and on because as I'm listening, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, I, I know you guys personally. I'm like, Chris, well, uh, there's this out there. Why don't you know about this? Or Chris, I love your Disneyland adventure, but do you know why that they can't make all the rides inclusive at Disneyland? You know, <laughs> I have lots that I could tell you, but some things that really stick out. Um, the, the first one that really sticks out for me is, um, you had a podcast on about, um, you know, companies and, um, some people with disabilities that are, um, they're kind of, uh, 
I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm sorry. It's escaped me. Um, they're, um, you know, showing um, how they use their devices or their um, information and, and maybe they're sitting at a table and, and showing them um, like maybe PRC or Toby. And so they're kind of a rep, not necessarily a rep, but kind of a spokesperson. An ambassador. An ambassador? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I could not come up with the right word. Um, okay. Ambassador. Um, and you use your descriptive made... teaching. You use your descriptive <laughs> teaching to describe what we, so we knew what the word was because you described it so well. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. Um, and, and so they, but they necess don't necessarily get paid for that. And I, I heard on a podcast that you were talking about, well, maybe they don't get paid because they might lose their benefits because they're only allowed to make so much money in order, um, to keep the benefits from the state. And if they don't have the benefits from the state, you know, keeping up on a power chair or an AAC device or the medical um, things that you might need as a person with a disability, you know, you can't lose that. That's, that's extremely expensive. And so um, I just wanted you to know that there's this thing called um, an ABLE account. And I know that it's in several states and I will send a link to you guys so that um, your listeners can follow it. But in Arizona, it, um, we have an able account for Carter. And so he can save up to $17,000 a year and not be penalized for, um, cause I, I know this sounds funny, but I think you're only allowed to have $2,000 in your account. Um, and, and if you go over that amount, then you stand the chance of losing your disability benefits. And so this able account, it makes it so that you can save money and you can use this money when you need it. Um, it has to go in this particular account, but that you're not penalized from the state, um, from having, um, from having too much money, so to speak. So that would be an opportunity that these ambassadors could actually get paid and, and put that money in maybe some sort of account. The downside to those accounts are, um, Unfortunately, if something were to happen to that person, the state takes the money. The state owns that money. So you can't like pass it on to your mom or to your dad or to your your kids. So the state would own that money if you don't if you don't use it, which sounds like a really big bummer, right? Um, but on the other hand, use it. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> um, but you can actually donate it to somebody else um, in your family that might have a disability. So my daughter also has an able account and she has because um, of her vision loss. And so she, so if, if we save money in the able account for Carter, we are, if, you know, something happens, Carter, she will be the next recipient of Carter's um, account because um, she is also an able account holder. So he can donate it to her, but then, um, basically the state owns your money. I'm not sure if it's the state or the federal government. I'm, I'm really not sure. I think it is the federal government, but I'll send you information on that. So if your listeners want more information that they can have it, but I, I just wanted to share that because that has been a real, you know, lifesaver for us. It's been, you know, good that we have this money and we have access to it. Um, but we don't, we can't afford to lose his benefits, um, through the state because it's so expensive. An AAC device itself is very expensive. And, and even though we do have our own private insurance, it doesn't cover it. So, um, something like an able account, um, is a nice way to go about that. So 
I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. That is certainly something when you when you said the word able account, I was like, oh yeah, like I, that does ring a bell, but in my day-to-day -day work, it's not something I come across. So uh, I think it's something I know I know I know I need to do more research about. So thank you. And and, and any parent that's listening is like, well, I'm gonna go look that up right now because that sounds like a huge resource that the people need to know about. I'm actually literally on, I just Googled it. I'm on the IRS website, which I don't usually like to be on the IRS website, but here we are. And it's awesome. Like I had no idea this existed. I'm really excited that you brought this up, Rebecca, and also to share it not only with our listeners, but also all the families I work with in my practice. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tax advantage savings account and you are able to contribute um, a certain uh, amount of money. Um, it looks like the annual limit's $15,000, which is a lot. Um, and so it wouldn't impact, um, you know, the ability up until that point to lose, um, you know, your, your funding through the state. So awesome. Love this. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's a year. I think it's yearly. So you can yeah. accumulate even more, yeah. but it's, you can only, and, and I, I am just learning about them. So, so please go look them up. Don't take my word for it. Just, <laughs> just like look them up. Cause I don't want to be held accountable for saying this is something like, incorrectly. Yeah, this is a disclaimer. We are not <laughs> CPAs. We do not know anything about taxes. <laughs> just go to the IRS website to learn more. <laughs> is there anything else, Rebecca? Well, there's, there's one more thing that I just wanted to talk to Rachel about and just say thank you for standing up for people with um, disabilities and people that do have their own voices and, and can be a part of some of um, the presentations that um, are given, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs about um, what happened with um, you not presenting at one of the conferences coming up, but I know that you did it because you really felt strongly that a lot of these things need to be coming from AAC users themselves. And, um, and although this doesn't really relate, uh, it relates, but it, it's not the same thing. But I think that um, there was recently a conference in our area and one of the presenters or some was someone that was supposed to come to my, my house and um, help us choose an AAC device for my son. And, um, I'm, I'm sure she just got busy. I'm sure it was just, you know, something that, um, came up, but here's this presenter presenting on AAC and she, she was supposed to come and help with the AAC evaluation. And I took time off of work and, and was really excited to have her come into our home and she canceled a few times and then she rescheduled. And when she rescheduled, um, right before she was supposed to be here, she, let me know that she left the AAC device on our front gate and to go ahead and try it out and see what you think. And, um, not that I, I, I don't know what was happening in her life at the time, you know, maybe something else was going on. Um, she did text me and say that, you know, that she had another one that she had to get to that she overbooked and she, she couldn't get to mine. Um, but, but, but here's this presenter Here's this presenter. She's presenting about AAC. And then to know that behind the scenes, maybe she's not following through with what, you know, an AAC user really needed. And it kind of broke my heart. And so it it just made me think of how thankful I am that although it's not the same circumstances, you're still standing up for the right of the AAC users. Um, because it's it it's you know, it's a whole, it's a whole system and 
you know, if she's the one that's doing the presenting on these things, then she should definitely be following through with her clinical practice. Um, and that wasn't happening. So I was, I was really sad. I was really, really sad. But when I heard what you had done, it made me reflect and think, I'm very thankful that there is somebody out there that is standing up for what's right for, um, for our communities, for our AAC community. So thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for saying all of that. And I think it just points to this idea that as professionals, like we can, you know, do the speaking events, we can do the trainings, we can, you know, teach these things, but there's nothing better than listening to someone with a lived experience. Um, so, you know, we're working with complex communicators, trying to teach language using AAC. And so, who who better than an AAC user themselves to share about their experience? Um, and so that's something that we feel really strongly about on this podcast. Uh, we've had lots and lots of AAC users come on to share their experience. And we I even have some recordings, Chris, that I just or some interviews booked um, with some other AAC users. Um, and so I think it's just a good reminder, um, you know, how can we include lots of diverse voices uh, when we're thinking about professional development and we're thinking about, you know, conferences or even just district-wide trainings, like having diverse voices, um, being inclusive with who, you know, is, you know, who is getting an opportunity to have the microphone, um, I think is really important. And that's definitely something I've reflected on. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, we all need to think about and consider when we are, you know, in opportunities and especially you know, myself, I get asked to do a lot of speaking events. And so um, I think it's it's really important for me to share that stage. And especially with new upcoming voices, you know, there's lots of uh, really great experiences that people have and to share. And so definitely something that I am thinking about moving forward, um, you know, in my, my career. Rebecca, uh, tell us where people can reach out to you or follow your work. So um, we, you can follow us on Facebook. Um, it's Inspire High HI Project. Um, and uh, we're also on Instagram, but we're much more, we're older. So we do Facebook. <laughs> we love I'm it. trying to get love used it. to Instagram. <laughs> um, or, uh, I feel uh, you, Rebecca. I feel you there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's where you can reach me at. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Any final thoughts? No, I just really want to say thank you. I I can't tell you the emotion that you two really have, like that I think about, like, I don't really know you, but I know you. And I think of how you've changed my life. You've changed Carter's life. You've, you've changed, hopefully it's, it's trickling down to even more people. Um, and and my passion for AAC um, and literacy has has come through you guys. Of course, I've branched off into many of the different areas that you guys um, have, um, you know, been so graciously to have these wonderful people on your show. And I, I just, I, I can't tell you, uh, I can't thank you enough. And I, I mean, you've changed my life, our family's life tremendously by having this podcast. So it it, it just makes me feel makes me bring tears to my eyes. I don't even know how, um, I just, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us today. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for coming to our presentation. Uh, I know that, um, 
Rachel and I going to that presentation in in uh, Arizona and seeing you there and meeting you there and you sharing your experience with us was certainly one of the um, things that will stick in my head forever. <laughs> I was like, because you don't know when you're here in the closet recording on a podcast with um, your buddy from California, what impact that'll be. Um, and then to see that how it, the impact from you was really like, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is why we, um, this is why we got into this back when I was a kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, to see that impact. So, so thank you for sharing the choices we make as educators and administrators and, um, uh, clinicians, they matter, right? They matter. So whether that is, uh, signing up for a, a particular speaking event or, or backing out of a speaking event, um, whether that is, choosing to do a podcast or not doing a podcast or whether it is um, which playground equipment we're ordering and doing that with some thoughtful consideration of everybody, all of it matters. And it worth, it's worth taking a few minutes to think about the actions that you are, are making because it, it impacts real people with real lives. And I sometimes in the, uh, in the, speed of life and oh i have two appointments and they're i'm overbooked so i'm just going to hang this on the on the door handle and good luck i'll, I'll be in touch i'll catch up with you um it, it, it can get lost that the, the, the your actions actually matter so just take a few minutes to think through it and take realize that uh the the work matters that you're doing so do it well that was beautiful, Chris, and I couldn't agree more. Um, it's amazing to hear the impact this podcast has had. And um, there's a trickle-down effect when we decide to go do a professional development and teach what we've learned to other people, even if it's just with one other person, um, it makes an impact. And so I think that this is a, a fantastic way to end a fantastic interview. Um, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on and sharing your experience. Um, I'm so excited to share this episode with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do. All the best to Carter. I was going to say, send us a, a bus, a bus video. Rebecca. Yes. <laughs> you can YouTube that it's on YouTube. I love it. Yeah. We'll have to link to, we'll have to link to Carter's bus YouTube channel <laughs> in the show notes. So for talking with tech, I'm Rachel Mado joined by Chris Bugay and Rebecca Gettings. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week.